0: Good morning. My name is Russell. I'm filling in today uh, for Tim Jennings. Welcome to the visitors. Welcome to the, the members. I want to welcome those listening in uh, online. Uh, let's begin with uh, a word of prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for yet another opportunity to come and, and worship, uh, to get uh, a little bit better idea of how you lead and how, uh, how you're uh, more facet, learn more facets of your character that you guide our study this morning. Please be with those of our group who are not with us. Bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. Please continue to shape and transform and mold our characters into those like that, like your son, so that when you come again, we can stand ready. You Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are studying lesson number two in our new quarterly background characters in the Old Testament. The title of the lesson is called, Caleb, Living with the Weight. Um. Someone read the memory text, please, for Sabbath lessons we'll take them from taking Psalms 130, uh, verses six and seven. Let's shout it out.
1: My soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption.
0: Uh, any thoughts on this? My soul waited for the Lord more than they the watch for the morning, and He says it again: more than they the watch for the morning.
2: The impatience or anxious.
0: Okay, so even even waiting bordering on bordering on impatience, and, and anxious waiting. Um, have any of you had to wait on something? with impatience or with uh, being anxious so we kind of have an idea of what uh, David uh, was experiencing um, This te- they put this text in here kind of to give us an idea of what uh, Caleb dealt with um, and I admit that I had never really deeply pondered it until you know, preparing for this lesson uh, the, the idea that he had gone into Going to Canaan with the spies, seeing you know the, everything that they saw, and then to be crushed with another 40 years of wandering around the desert um, before he actually got to realize the dream of, of uh, you know being taken into the Promised Land. Um, some some things that were you know some definitely some things we're going to look at later that uh, you and I can uh, learn. Let's look at Sunday's lesson. Um, and I'm reading specifically from the, the, the verses here that they give us, Numbers thirteen twenty six through numbers fourteen two. This is um, this is basically the report that the spies came back and, and gave Moses and gave the children of Israel. I want you to I want you to listen carefully and see if you can pick out the lies in the statements. Uh, what's true and what's what's not. This is verse 27. And they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Apparently they brought back some samples, a cluster of grapes that two guys had to carry on a pole. Um, You can imagine that. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay, anything dishonest in those statements so far? Was the land flowing with milk and honey? Yes. yes. Were the people in the land strong? Yes. And were the descendants of Anak, the giant there? Yes. Okay. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Is that true? Yes. As far as we know. Okay. Okay. So... So far, this is a, this is an accurate report, correct? Verse thirty-one. But the men who had gone up with him said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we." Um, is, that a, is that a true statement? The people the people were stronger than they were. Um, where's but but the first part of the statement: "We are not able to go up against the people." Is that an honest statement? There's some qualification there. Correct. The Israelites by themselves were not able to go up against the people. Um, The thing that they neglected was to include God in that equation. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land where they had spied out, saying, The land throughout which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Is that an honest
1: statement?
0: Kind of. (laughs) your
3: pardon.
0: They were afraid. They were clearly afraid. How? Let me ask you this: How could a land that devours its inhabitants produce people uh, that exist as giants? How could it produce grapes as big as watermelons? How could a land that devours its inhabitants be flowing with milk and honey? Speak up a little. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
4: He was referring more to the, um, the, the barbaric nature of the inhabitants uh, than to the land itself, but referring to the land in a, you know, the sense that... That the
5: people were...
0: Including the people with it, and their natures and...
4: Brutal, and that,
5: um, you know, basically the way the Israelites
3: saw life for life, you know, life for life, life for life, that
0: kind of thing. Okay, that's, that's possible. Because that,
3: that represented the Israelites' whole,
4: you know, time and taking in taking Canaan, was one battle after another.
3: Wasn't
0: well, something unfamiliar either to the Israelites or to
3: the people that lived in the land. Okay, did everyone hear what she said? Okay, yes. i does going to say, God sees things a lot differently than we do. <laughs>
0: That's correct.
3: Picture, and He doesn't see time the same way we do. So there's several different factors in that concept. He allowed it to occur not only to meet people or glorify someone down the road as the Israelites came in and God gave it to them, even though they were bigger than the human people, God still gave that land of milk and honey to prove it. It wasn't them that was doing it. It was him. Does that make sense? Yes. Because a lot of times things are, you wonder how in the world it happen, because it's not that we can possibly do The milk and honey was there because God put it there. People were bigger larger because God allowed them to come that way so that when Israel like, walked in there, they realized it
0: was him and not him accomplished in the Okay. Let's back up a little bit. What was God's intent for Israel? What did God intend Israel to do?
3: Represent him to the rest of him. the world.
0: God intended Israel to represent him, to reveal his character to the rest of the world. Did God... Want to save the Amalekites and the Canaanites and the sons of Anak, the Jebusites and the Termites and all the otherites. Yeah, he did. And he, he tended to use Israel as his instrument for that. Clearly, Israel was not successful in that. So, when, you know, we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, fast forwarding probably to future lessons and, and, and on down in history. But when God told Israel, to clear out the Israel to the uh, the land of Canaan, and he told them to destroy every living thing, man, woman, child, and livestock. Why did he tell them to do that? Well, time out. Let me back up even further. Was it God's intent that Israel do the the hard work of clearing out the land of Canaan themselves? No. No. He said, "I will send the hornet and the pestilence ahead of you, and drive out the land of Can- drive them out." And he said, I will do it in my own time, so that the land doesn't become you know, filled with wild beasts and, and become savage. He intended to do he intended to do this so the Israelites didn't have to lift a finger. They wanted to help. We we want war. So he said, Well, I'd rather not, but okay, I'm gonna give you what you want. I know what I know what killing another human being does to to you. You'd be better off doing it my way, but I'll give you what you wish.
4: He already gave him a pretty similar example of that and how he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Clearly. He them up into a situation of a civil war. He started gent- kind of gently, suggesting to Pharaoh that, you know, we need to change. We need to let this people go. you need to change. There's something happening here. But he didn't even start with a really brutal approach.
0: <laughs> yeah, he didn't start with killing the firstborn. Yes, Linda.
3: Well, if you read the different instances about what he did with the groups, the various groups they were going to take over, he had various instructions, each time different from the other. Sometimes he wanted to wipe out everybody, every animal, everything, and not take anything from them. Other times, he you have their stuff, maybe even their animals, but you can't have them, you have to kill them. Other times, he said that you kill all of them except the virgin girls. And there were a bunch of virgin You could take them into your camp and kill everybody and everything else. So it leads me to believe that there were germs, shall we say, diseases among these groups. If you ever watch these kind of shows where they show the indigenous population activities, you could kind of worry that if you brought a whole bunch of people in and mixed them with whatever was going on in those particular, he said, disgusting practices of those people, they undoubtedly had created within themselves various diseases he did not want to let loose in his people. The, the fact that he said you can have the virgin girls almost makes you think they had sexually transmitted diseases within their group. He didn't want to get into his
0: group. Okay, but my question is, was that, was again that God just giving the Israelites what they wanted? You know, they saw the beautiful women, cans you know, we want these women as our wives. Well, they're going to lead you into idolatry. But if you insist, okay, here, you know, just take the virgins, okay? You know, I think God knew that, um, and that's why He told them to destroy everything because He knew that, that they would be led into idolatry. Sure enough, they they didn't follow his uh, they didn't follow His instruction. They they started intermingling and intermarrying, and what happened? The Israelites were were led. Led into idolatry, and you know, in what two generations, they the the kingdom was fractured.
6: Yes. And when you say idolatry, I understand that they no longer were able to represent God and who He was. The picture had become distorted.
0: Oh, absolutely. The picture was distorted from Egypt. I don't, I don't know that Israel, as a nation, ever really, ever really understood the character of God certainly um individuals did moses caleb who we're talking about today joshua etc etc but as a nation i don't think israel ever really did accept and understand god and it's actually it's it's fairly clear that when god came and walked among them what did he do what did they do they put him on a cross murdered him okay where was i now back to back to you know looking at the lies in these statements. The land which we have gone to spies, the land that devours its inhabitants. And the people we saw were great men of great stature. There we saw giants, um, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were, our, uh, so we were as in their sight. Um, I think the, I think the fundamental lie in all of these statements we saw is that we're, this is a land that devours its inhabitants, and you know the point was made that maybe, maybe they meant the land was collective. The land, like the land of the United States, not necessarily the ground that we're standing on, but, but the whole land is a land that devours its inhabitants, and that's that's a fair point. Um, I don't know. But but anyway, the report served to fuel what? Fear. Fear. What is fear a um, manifestation of?
3: Distrust.
0: Distrust and the desire to serve self. Correct. Yes, Tim. I think
2: the, the whole thing where, you know, they viewed themselves as grasshoppers you know, compared to them, they might have been bigger than them. They might have been, you know.
0: Triple their size, yeah, who knows? We don't know to what degree they were, but the whole fact that they viewed themselves
7: as grasshoppers compared to them shows to me that, that they were viewing this as them going in to take the land, not God coming in to take the land.
0: Correct. Because if they had,
7: they would viewed everyone as a grasshopper in comparison to that. Correct. Yes?
3: I think they were looking at it from, just like you said, from a physical point of view, because later on it
5: says the land we passed through
1: and explored was exceedingly good. The land was
5: so blessed. It was making these giants because of the food they were eating. So they didn't see this land is anointed and blessed. Look at
1: what it does to these people. It's trusting God who to give us that. And they just look at it like it was man and the land of these people. Well said, yes. And the, the question that I keep coming back to, any challenge that they face as they go along, and
5: especially, and only when you know that it's God leading and it's not just you going on your own, if you need a challenge, then the question is, is God big enough to come to that challenge? And uh, so... Uh, is, he, is
3: he enough for you? And
0: he chase things away from All right, thank you. The pink box at the bottom of Sunday's lesson asked the question, <clears throat> why is it so easy to live by sight and not by faith? And my question was, is there a difference? Yes.
3: Relying on your
5: senses versus relying on the
0: the
3: father that has the ability to have that trust in us. Okay. Could it be that you don't have to have belief if you walk by sight? I guess there is a component of belief, but it doesn't require too much. You can actually see it. All right. And you have this trusting in your own capabilities? I can handle this situation. This is, you know, uh, I've got this drink. I can handle that. I can use my credit card instead of relying on God to help me make better financial decisions. And uh, how I purchase it is. And I can, you know, have a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian and it
0: won't hurt me. You know, I can handle it. Okay, let me ask you guys this. Did the ten unfaithful spies, did they experience, did they see slavery and experience delivery from it?
4: Mm-hmm. Say that again?
0: Did the, the ten unfaithful spies, the ten spies that gave the bad report, did they not see slavery in Egypt? Did they not see delivery from from slavery? But again,
5: they only saw it with their eyes and not their heart. They saw the fact that
0: they had left. Ah, so there's a difference. They didn't rush across
5: to them. They saw the fact that they got there in a very short period of time. But they didn't see the fact that a miraculous God intervened. And so many steps along the way, and that same God is the same one who would be going with and in front of them to Yes, sir. Solid alliances. Is it
7: written somewhere that they were the ones that came out of Egypt? There's a bunch of people that died in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness. Yeah. So, are we assuming that everybody made it through? No. Standing there.
0: Well, okay. It had only been 15 months since they left Egypt, since mm-hmm. they left slavery. These men were well at the time. Caleb and Joshua were forties, maybe you know forty-five. Um, so I'm I am making the assumption that the rest of the spies were roughly of the same age. So they, you know, forty. You know, they would have had to have been fifteen months, eighteen months old if they had just been born coming out of Egypt. So they they probably wouldn't have qualified as spies. So the, the timing the timing of things suggests that. These men were living in slavery and captivity in Egypt, and experienced a deliverance. I I struggled with that for a minute until I until I realized it, it had only been less than a year and a half since they came out of Egypt. Um, more questions: Did they, you know, did these did these ten of faithful not see Pharaoh's army swallowed by the Red Sea? Did they not see the pillar of cloud and a fire every day leading the camp? Did they not eat the manna sent from heaven? Did they not see the water spring from the rock? Did they see the rebels swallowed up? You know, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Did they not see all those things? David, they saw it all. How is it that Caleb and Joshua saw things differently?
2: Because they saw God's love not. Okay. As another result, of who God was. Whereas the people who didn't actually know who God was, God's display of power really didn't
7: have it changing or belief building to them because they weren't actually, they didn't actually believe in who God was. Okay. Brittany? I think it depends on the
5: position of your heart. Like, there's no difference in this day, people saw the miracles and I in the, the way. God spoke in his baptism. Some people heard it, so I was to
2: say, Where your heart's at and what your view of the world of God is. How you think it's right. well, okay. I think it's self-centeredness. You know, what do you for me? What does it mean to me? How do I handle this myself? it all came back because when you come out and bless Let's do something else. They always wanted to take charge and do something instead of fully relying on God. So this was kind of part of this we can't do it ourselves, so we've kind of forgotten that God is the one that doesn't control it. And ourselves
0: Another hand behind you.
2: Well I, I think it's really easy to interview the problems thing and look back on the and say, Wow, how could they be so stupid?
0: Yeah, we we wouldn't do something like that. It'd be silly. Uh,
2: but yet yeah, at the same time, how many of us go through our daily lives in some small I mean we're not looking at giants here in our day to day lives how hard is it to have that have that faith to say, hey, God will take care of this. this is, but yet, we didn't do the same thing. And we have all this historical context, too, which they didn't have. You know, so it seems like there was an awful lot of evidence before that should have showed them that God's going to take care of them,
0: but yet... Right. They- yeah, I I intended to, you know, ask some hard questions later on in the lesson about, you know, is there now a group of people waiting to go into the promised land, and are, are we... You know, stubbornly waiting uh, or, or stubbornly refusing to to take hold of that. Yes? The,
5: a couple of concepts that in the lesson I have not realized God, it had been 10 times, 10 big events, and that God had allowed them to be able to see His incredible manifestations, the, the big miracles. But also, you have it daily, you get up in there so if it hasn't gotten light yet, you've got the pillar of fire. If it's gotten light, you're walking through, you've got the pillar of the cloud that's a problem. You have the manna each day. Each day there will be revelations and reminders of God's care and love. But I think also, as it is today, it's very easy to get a mentality of focusing on the event, the crisis of the moment. And having somewhat of back of the brain, consciously or unconsciously,
0: a what have you done for me lately? Sometimes express that way, uh, or or losing track of that history, having a very short memory. Yeah, we do tend to be a bit uh, short-sighted, myopic. Um, Monday's lesson: There's a Japanese proverb that states, "The nail that sticks out gets hammered down." Um, Monday talks about, Monday discusses how Caleb, uh, tried to present a a contrary view from the, uh, from the 10 spies and the people picked up stones and wanted to stone him. So he almost literally got hammered down for being the one nail that sticks up. My question here was how did God treat the, uh, the rebellious, the rebellious spies and the 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 people that were led into rebellion. Someone uh, so, someone brought their Bible. Someone read Numbers uh, 14, 10. No, excuse me, Numbers 14, verses
3: 36 and 37. And I'm going to twist on just the character the ruler. He was an Ammon. He was, wasn't even Israelite. He an Israelite originally. He joined the Israelites when they left Egypt.
0: Where? I, th- I thought he was from the tribe of Judah. Find that, please. Um, numbers 14, 36, and
1: 37. And the men whom Moses sent to spy
3: on the land and returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men
0: who brought up that report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Okay. Um, so that's that's what happened to the ten spies. The word plague uh, in Jewish literally translates as just being destroyed. This passage from Spirit of Prophecy, Volume One, page two ninety four. The Lord sent fire from his presence and consumed the men who had brought the evil report, which made the congregation murmur against Moses and against the Lord. But Caleb and Joshua lived before the Lord and before the people, which evidenced to them that their report was correct. Hmm. Any thoughts? It's
3: interesting. It's almost like the lies told they told is what killed they.
0: She said the lie, it's interesting that the lies that the people told is what killed them. Any other thoughts?
7: Like it <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does, It doesn't seem like God is a little vindictive.
5: Yeah. Nikki? I think the spirit of rebellion is the opposite of being with God. You're either against God or for God. And you just can't be. Well, I mean, like, you're in rebellion with God, it's like you're dead already. Mm. It's almost like a destruction of covenant. If you destroy a covenant, you're already dead.
0: Okay, so there are some theories that would suggest that the spirit of God can't, can't tolerate the spirit of rebellion. And there are other theories that suggest that the spirit of rebellion can't tolerate the spirit of God. These two are very different theories.
1: This is a a really big emergency they're having here, and it seems like it would be important for God to make some kind of a big statement to say that truth has been spoken and error has been spoken, or they're going to have a (laughs) huge rebellion on hand. And and it would be like God to intervene for the sake of his children, putting this group of however many to sleep, and it is just a for the time being, so that he can make that statement so that when they're back out in the wilderness, they know clearly that a mistake has been made and that it was a wrong thing that happened
0: there. Anyone think that this might be a very similar fire that um, yes. destroyed Aaron's two sons when they were offering strange fire before the altar? Fire came out from the altar and consumed the two sons, and then the, Moses commanded the congregation to drag them out by their tunics. So, this is a bit of a bit of an interesting fire, isn't it? And the same, and, and bear in mind that this, this, you know, according according to Ellen White here, you know, the, the Bible says plague, which in Hebrew translates as being literally as being just destroyed. According to Ellen White, it was a fire from the Lord, and and prior to this event, the the glory of the Lord came down and you know, onto the tabernacle and and illuminated it. So this and this this is the same fire that Caleb and Joshua Joshua, uh, they were they were probably in the same vicinity, but they were able to stand in the fire. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, uh, and going back just a little bit before this incident, uh, Miriam, grumbled and distrusted, and mm-hmm. leprous, you might call that a plague, and later was then healed because of Moses' prayer, and God answering it, and so on. They had that evidence just before this incident.
0: Correct. Someone read Numbers 14, verses 28 through 33. Now we're going to... So we've already... We've already seen what the what happened to the spies. What happened to the rest of Israel, or those the rebellious of Israel that didn't believe.
6: Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Your dead bodies shall fall in this very wilderness, and of all your number, including in the census, from twenty years old and upward, you or rather, who have complained against me, not one of you shall come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Caleb son of Jephunneh and um, Joshua son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become booty, I will give, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have despised. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness. And the last year of your dead, and the last of your dead bodies, lies in the wilderness until.
0: Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Let's listen, this is Numbers fourteen, one, uh, 1 through 3. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, quote, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to
2: Egypt? Why didn't they say, why didn't we trust you? We, would, we want to trust you now.
0: We want to follow you. Good question. <laughs> why don't we say that today? Yeah. So, I mean, here, here, here the children of Israel with one voice are saying, would it, it would have been better for us to die in the wilderness. So, you know, instead of instead of God being a punitive, vindictive, punishing uh, Ogre, he's he's given them what they want. He's given them what they asked for.
3: Will he not do that at the end of time?
0: No, there's a good question. How it? Yeah, he's he's doing it. He's been doing it from day one.
6: Is there a sense of entitlement here that that all need <coughs> to sort of aware uh, of? That you know we're entitled to the absolute easiest, best simplest most, you know, most, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Fulfilling or, or, uh, you know, a way that's just, you know, filling you up beyond all expectations all the time.
0: You know? Well, not according to our Savior. Our Savior makes it very clear that those who follow Him will, will have uh, a life of sorrow and difficulty and persecution. And also a life, a life of, of, of uh, unspeakable joy and peace. So,
8: yes.
3: But I think it all goes back
5: to this trust of self versus trust of God. I think that's what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Eve herself made a better choice for her than God had made for her.
1: These people
5: did it then. You know they. They were trusting themselves to go and take the land, and they, they thought it was going to be too hard for them. And I think that's what we do every single minute of every single day. We step in and, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And we, it, the hardest thing, the easiest thing is the hardest thing. How, how do we do that to ourselves, The easiest thing should be to trust in God and to it the hardest thing.
3: Yeah, I just, I, I just see that
5: in here. It says here in verse 30, not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hands. So that means they made a covenant. And God said, I'm
1: giving you this land, this joy, this
5: abundant life. But all you have to do is believe. And
1: it's the same thing he asked us today. Just believe, and I'll do everything. And if they rejected it, they rejected it. They said, We, we don't believe you.
3: So they broke the covenant because they
2: didn't believe they they had to die, It's the simple of the covenant anyway. I do understand this, this whole mentality they had. They said, no, we can't do this. We're actually going to succeed. What did they expect? They weren't going to trust the Lord and take the
0: land. What, what did they expect was going to happen? You're going to have to stay in the desert if they don't take the land. Or, re- or return to Egypt and, and function as slaves.
2: Die. you know. They didn't, I guess so. Then they figure out. It's like after the fact they figure out in verse about forty or forty one. They figure out. Wait a minute. We realize now that we're going to die here, so we want to. We want to rethink this. And well,
6: you know, it's too late. Mm. Hmm. interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I
2: can apply that completely to myself too. But...
0: Yeah. This is a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume One, page two eighty nine. As the people listened to this report, they gave vent to their disappointment with bitter reproaches and wailing. They did not wait and reflect and reason that God, who brought them out thus far, would certainly give them the land. But they yielded to discouragement at once. They limited the power of the Holy One and trusted not in God, who had hitherto led them. They reproached Moses and murmuringly said to one another, This then is the end of all our hope. This is the land that we have been traveling from Egypt to obtain. Caleb and Joshua sought to obtain a hearing, but the people were so excited they could not command themselves to listen to these two men. After they were calmed a little, Caleb ventured to speak. He said to the people, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. Uh, I think it's very interesting that she makes a point of saying they did not wait, reflect, and reason that God was able Okay. Is there what's the name of our ministry? Come and reason ministries. There there is something about reasoning with God that that affects our our heart, affects our faith in a positive way. It makes that makes us see things differently. Caleb and Joshua had already experienced this reasoning process. They had already reasoned through things. When they were in Canaan, they were reasoning through. They saw these grapes the size of watermelon and said, I can't wait to plant some of those. They had already reasoned through it. And the ten unfaithful spies and apparently the rest of Israel had not. Let's move on to Tuesday's lesson it's entitled Claiming God's Promises what exactly does it mean to claim God's promises are we to test God does he want us to prove him is this part of that reasoning process how does does this whole process of claiming God's promises and testing God's promises how does it relate to faith
3: you said it so I trust you, so I believe what you say, so I accept that your promise is something that I can count on.
0: It, doesn't that get a little dangerous, though, whether God said it, I believe it, that settles it mentality?
3: And not if you have a history of believing that person. It would be if Russell said it, I believe it, then that settles it. I don't know you very well, and I don't know if I trust you. <coughs> But if you find out God and have had experience with him and
0: trust him... Ah, okay. Says,
3: That's very different. ...that I trust it and I claim or accept that what is true will take it
0: for my own. I mean, I'll make that my own belief. So with a, a being or individual that you have already found to be trustworthy, it's very different than a stranger you meet or a casual acquaintance. All right. Interesting. Any other thoughts? Yes.
7: I've heard a lot of people say that growing up in this church, we need to trust God. And I've always felt like there was a bit of pressure, you know, hurry up and trust God. But I was reading Graham Maxwell, and he makes the point that God takes a long time to, to give evidence for himself to give us the chance to trust him. Mm-hmm. I think about the Israelites and being in, a, in an environment that I'm not familiar with, I don't live in the desert, I don't live with enemies, I don't, I don't have any way of relation to what they experience. It. So for somebody to say, we need to take God's promises, that's completely different in my mind for me than it is for them in a lot of ways. So to be honest, I wouldn't really know you
8: know, you say, "What does it mean to take God's promises?" Now, we talk literally, you
7: know, for everyday life, or we talking about metaphorically, you know, that that to me gets to be a little bit confusing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine you're you're at the mall, you're walking out to your car, and a stranger comes up to you and says, "Hey, uh, let me let me borrow your car keys. Uh, me, I want to I, I need to borrow your car. Would you give them out?" No. No. I mean, you've got you got number one the risk of your car being stolen. Then you've got registration, with your home address, maybe the keys to the house on there on the ring. It would be it'd be foolishness to do that. But if a trusted friend came to you and said, "I need to borrow your car for uh, for a few minutes or for a few hours," would you do it? Sure, sure you would. <coughs> um, what's the difference? Having
5: established a relationship and having that relationship be trustworthy.
0: She said, having established a relationship and having that relationship be one of trust. That's correct. That's the difference. Okay? God doesn't want us to trust Him blindly. He wants us to he wants us to, to to test Him and prove Him and, and, and see the evidence that He's already given throughout history and see the evidence He's given you know, in our own lives and the lives of our loved ones and develop that relationship with Him so that we find Him trustworthy.
1: And that's why he asked us to, to come and reason, and that's why he spent all that time with unwalked remains talking to them to give them that evidence so that they could make a healthy decision of trust.
4: And I think the important thing for us is to just to never look back on the Israelites smugly and say, "For keep saying how much evidence you had and you blew because. I like what he said. You know, we can't possibly relate to what they experienced, for one thing. Our lives are so cushy, we can't mm-hmm. even relate to the life that they had, and it's not like the status school films that we
5: always see. Right.
4: They were a rag-tied bunch of people who lived in slavery for 400 years. Mm-hmm. They didn't have even the capacity to reason. Correct. That we have. But the important thing for us is to look back historically over the whole account from beginning to where we are now and go, what is this God like, including their story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what develops it. For us, we've got so much more information than they have, and experience than they had.
0: This, um, claiming God's promises, this is, a. Uh what, he's, what they're talking about is when Caleb, this is after the 40 years of wandering the desert, and Caleb approaches Joshua and says, "The Lord promised me this land. I, you know, I want what's basically to become the town of Hebron." And he makes a speech about you know he's he's now 85 years old and he's he still has the health and vigor of a you know of a 40 40 or 45 year old. What a concept! I mean, think about that. Is anyone in here eighty-five? One. Do you do you remember forty-five? Think think about uh, think about feeling that that vigorous and that young forty years down the road.
3: You know, Russell, do
1: you think he really felt like a 40-year-old? Or do you think he, he said, you
5: know what, God took promise me that. I'm 85, I'm an 85-year-old, I feel like an 85-year-old, but God promised me that. He's going to give it to me. I'm not trusting myself to have the strength of a 40-year-old and go get it. He said he was giving it to me, I'm, I'm going to get
0: it. I actually think he literally felt 40 years younger. I really do. Um, I don't think he would have said it if he hadn't felt it. I, I don't think he. I don't think he was saying it um, in a smug or selfish way, and I don't think he was saying it to to try to prove to the Israelites that he could go, you know, kick butt and take names all by himself. I mean, he certainly knew he certainly knew where his vigor was derived, but uh, I, I really do believe that he felt felt like he did in his youth. Youth. I just turned 45, so I'm including youth. Uh, 45 is youth, in my book.
5: But a lot of his vigor did derive from that daily walking at that point mm-hmm. of the trust and leisure, so that he, the worries and the day-to-day toil didn't take as much of a whole hour of the trust and walk. I think
2: it And talks about that, you know. The fact that that positive attitude has on your mind and your ability to think and, and your blood pressure, mm-hmm. your resting heart rate, mm-hmm. I mean, those things are very important for preserving life long-term.
0: Correct. Following the laws of health, so, so et cetera, so et cetera.
2: He was a much better because he was living in harmony with for instance this whole forty years. Yep. I'm a patient
4: of therapist here. I
0: do Sorry. <laughs> I've been, been there, done that. Yes. But I have a lady
3: that is 96 years old. She's still living alone, still functioning, still sharp as
1: a God bless her. And and
3: she is a god believer. And if you ask her what is her secret for living and doing so well, she'll
0: point
8: to heaven. It's God. So it is still possible. Yeah. To have that Good.
0: I don't, think he I, I, I don't either. I absolutely don't either. I, I think that he, I think he knew where the source of his, uh, his youth came from. But I think Caleb is trying to, trying to set an example, not only for, well, first of all, he didn't, he didn't ask for uh, land that had already been, that had already been tamed. The land that had already been cleared out. You know, at 85, he he would have been well justified to say, you know, I want this stuff over here. There's no no Canaanites over there. I'm going to go over there and, and and raise grapes. No, he, he took the he chose the city that was defended by the giants' three sons. And he said, uh, that's where that's where I want to live, and and I'm going to go I'm going to go uh, take care of things, you know, with the Lord's help. Think for a minute about number one how that would be perceived in Israel. When you know when, when the, the younger generation who's watched their parents die in the desert, uh, when they see this guy that's apparently ageless go up and and, and defeat the the giant's three sons and, and take the city, think what that would have done to their their mentality and their, their desire to, to get on with things and follow follow along with God's direction. Not only that, but think what it would have done to the Canaanites remaining in in, uh, in town to know that the giant's three sons were defeated by a little old man. <laughs> Linda.
3: Well, it, makes, it, it makes me think of Abraham and Lot when they made choices of where they were going to go. You know, here's Abraham the elder. should have had the first choice, but he said, You go ahead and choose, and Lot chose the best place, the easiest place. The most interesting place, which ultimately led to down a bad path. But again, how often do we do that? We choose the easiest way, the most interesting way, the fun way. We don't really choose maybe God's way. It seems more difficult.
7: I always wondering about that story because if Lot went the other way and Abraham went to Sodom, the world would have been different. I, you know, it doesn't really matter where you go. If you have a picture of God, that's a correct picture of God. Will it make a difference? Um, the reason that I made that statement just because I alluded to but I grew up in this church and never had a vision or a picture of God of the way that I've learned in the last three years in this class. yeah me and I neither. Any personal experience that it has made all the difference in the world to me. Amen. And right now, I'll tell you that I would be willing to take on any past person when I grew up as a, the world's best pessimist. I think that it's impossible if you have the right picture of God to do things in a pessimistic way. Now, maybe that's a tendency that I have, but it's less of a tendency. And I watch people in the Bible, they didn't really seem to be. The ones that had the picture of Daniel... Even the disciples after after they've been with Christ and you know, they they died in moral ways that
0: most of them like myself
7: as a pessimist, I, I just don't see how I would be able to do that. But those people were like us and they experienced the same struggle, but their picture of God was different. Versus a lot of people in, in time of Israel, maybe today, I don't know, but I'm just I'm just
8: saying that it makes a lot of difference, but would it make a difference for
7: Abraham? If he's on the facade? You know, would he? Have, would he stay the same? Would he? Have, you know, I don't know.
0: But yeah, I think one of the fascinating things about being in heaven is, and this this is personal belief. I have no inspiration to, to base this on, but uh, I think we will be able to go back through history and see what would have happened had had certain choices uh, been made. I think we'll be able to go back in our own lives and see, you know, where we 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 wrote we reached crossroads, and had we chosen a different path, you know, what would the results have been? We we spent the morning basically discussing everything from our perspective, and you know, we're
6: telling the story and we're going to tell it our way. Basically. and of course, we touched on the fact that um, from their perspective things would have looked a lot different you know, back then you know, because of how they would relate to things and how we relate to things, basically with our, our perceptions. But what I'm saying is that there are, there are actually two different schools of thought uh, about the Israelites, and the man who gave the museum to the Southern Adventist is of the other school of God than what we are. And I don't mean that to deprecate them, I'm just saying that these people feel that the Israelites were just another submitted tribe that had an experience in, in um, Egypt but then came back to Canaan. And they had a very different, you know, um, or our affirmation to, you know, the whole uh, concept of, of, you know, God or divinity and deity and um, that sort of thing within that culture than we do. You know, we, we basically have an evolved Judeo-Christian tradition here. They, they didn't obviously have an evolved Judeo- Judeo-Christian or Judeo-tradition either. as I as that that they just had this patriarchal system from Abraham. So you know, the point is that that these people really had to compare themselves with the other people that were there as well. And you know they they felt like that was sort of those were their roots. So you know whenever you go back to a place where You feel like the roots are. You're going to sort of mix and match what you want with what they already have and what they're already doing.
3: One thing I tend to overlook in the story is they were conditioned by fear. Mm -hmm. You know, they had 400 years in slavery, um, and when you look at their response when God came to deliver them, some chose to believe God, and some didn't. Some responded in fear, and they I think they continued to do that. They continued. Their that way, and so when it came to this land only two could in a way that said, they the, reason, the rest
0: and shut down the Well said. this is from a book called Faith I Live by page 52. From the beginning, God has been working by his Holy Spirit through human instrumentalities for the accomplishments of his purpose in behalf of the fallen race. The same power that sustained the patriarchs, that gave Caleb and Joshua faith and courage, and that made the work of the apostolic church effective, has upheld God's faithful children in every succeeding age. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all the gifts that Jesus could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent, and without this the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. The Holy Spirit is an effective helper in restoring the image of God in the human soul. The, the Holy Spirit was the highest of all the gifts that Jesus could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. Does this mean that Christ was begging his Father to give the Holy Spirit to humanity? No, of course not. All, all three of them are working in concert together for, for our healing and restoration.
3: So that's
0: what makes it real in our lives is that transformative power. One last thing. Uh, at the bottom of Friday's lesson, first discussion question says, as Christians, we are constantly bombarded with, quote, facts that are interpreted in ways that contradict our faith. Notice the key word is interpreted. What are the ways we can confront these challenges without making fools of ourselves and yet at the same time maintain our integrity? Um, what are some of the facts that we are bombarded with that contradict our faith?
3: Evolution.
0: That was the first one I thought of. Humanism. Humanism? Okay, the the those two go hand in hand.
3: I can make myself better. I can, you know, attend all these conferences and show me how to be my best be, and you know, I don't even need anything to make be me my best be.
0: Okay. Okay, that goes hand in hand with evolution. Any any others? Oh, yeah. Oh, the fact that God will have to it will be forced by holy justice and uh, and honor to destroy the wicked in the end with using His power. Okay. Any other facts we're presented with? Sabbath. How could
2: so many people be wrong?
0: Correct. The majority, the majority, believes that they must be right. Um, is it really that much of a problem to be thought of as a fool? It says, how can we, how can we confront these without making fools of ourselves? Uh, what was, what was the perception of Christ in his day? Yeah, they use nuts. If you're going to
1: swim against the current, it's not going to be easy.
0: (laughs) Right. And the nail that sticks up is likely to get hammered. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you for your input. Let's uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Eternal Father, I want to thank you for the examples that you've set forth for us uh, through the courage and faith of Caleb and Joshua and Moses and other patriarchs. Well, thank you for leading them with the Holy Spirit, and thank you for the gift that you've given us of, of the Holy Spirit. Please continue to guide and direct our class, both corporately and individually. Uh, be with each of these dear people through the coming week and
8: bring us safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.